0: Hello and welcome into yet another episode of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Jake Fenner coming to you almost like always. I am joined today yet again by Tom Adams. Uh, I believe Chuck is still holding out from us and in arbitration, like as if he was Melvin Gordon or Zeke Elliott or somebody like that. But anyway, Tom, it's really good to have you back on the podcast. Tom, how are you doing and what are you drinking tonight?
1: Thanks. It's great to be back. Always happy to be on the pod. I am currently enjoying a Polaner Oktoberfest Mertzen uh, or I shouldn't say one. This might be my second or third. I'll leave that um, for our listeners to guess which one I'm on. But um, as everyone probably knows, it's almost that wonderful time of year. Just around the corner, all the stores are going to be stocked with the best beers from the best time in the world. And of course, I am talking about Oktoberfest.
0: Absolutely. Uh, I personally am drinking a Francis Connor Weiss beer, and we may or may not have a Oktoberfest special edition where Chuck, Tom, maybe even Marcus and I all just get as many Oktoberfest beers as we can in us and see what the hell just happens from here. So with that being said, we are going to get into the podcast. So what it looks like today, we will start off with our segment after 90 minutes where we go ahead and look at at a certain game that we played last weekend against Mainz. Uh, seeing as it's the international break. Woo-hoo, we have an international break. Yay, it's so exciting. <laughs> fun. So now that we're at the end of the international break, we will be doing a second after 90 minutes where we go ahead and look back on the two games Germany played over the weekend. And then after that, we will go to our segment, Ask BPW, before finishing off with the return of the newsroom, where we will analyze a couple of recent lists and teams. So first, we're going to start off, as always, with Dare Ausblick, where today we are going to analyze the game against Mainz. So, uh... Mainz got things... Off, nice. Like their their game started off on a good foot when uh, Jean-Paul Botias scored in the sixth minute. Uh, which I guess was kind of an omen, seeing as after that one goal in the sixth, Bayern then proceeded to put six past them. Uh, It was very interesting to see how absolutely dominant Bayern Munich ended up being. Uh, Benjamin Pavard tied the game in the 36th minute, and then David Alaba with this absolutely beautiful free kick hit one in the 45th, followed by Ivan Perisic making his... Scoring debut for Bayern Munich in the 54th. Kingsley Kalman in the 64th. Robert Lewandowski could not be denied in the 78th. And then the Canadian youngster star Alphonso Davies in the 80th minute. Mainz now sit dead last. The only team to have not yet gained a point on a minus 10 goal Difference. So, we're not going to stick with this topic for long because obviously there's not much that we have to talk about other than the utter dominance from And So, Tom, uh, lend me your thoughts on uh, this game and Byron's dominant performance in red.
1: First, I got to start off. I think it's hilarious that uh, during the last pod, when we were previewing this game, the two guys we were talking about were uh, Quaison and Boedius. And of course, Boedius was one of the guys involved, as you mentioned in the sixth minute. Um, and I think with a game like this, the onus is always on Bayern, uh, being the significantly better team. And we almost knew what we were going to get from Mainz, you know, a very very compact shell, um, picking their moments to go forward. And I think, you know, this game is riddled with subplots. You know, Lewandowski getting his sixth goal in three matches. Um, I think I saw something earlier today that he's the first player to do that in almost uh, 14 seasons in the Bundesliga, which is amazing. You know, I, I really hope that uh, Lewandowski stays in form for both club and country. Also, one of the things I really liked in, in my notes, I literally just wrote New Boys uh, in all caps with a bunch of exclamation points because I absolutely loved everything about Pavard in this game. And you can kind of see uh, in the video analysis on that Bowidius goal, it was uh, Pavard who was kind of slow to. Uh, closed down, Boidius. you know, he was kind of caught between two minds. I believe there was another player coming behind him. I think he was caught between two minds trying to close down which player. And he kind of reacted you know, a couple split seconds too late and bang, Boidius is in. But he gave an interview after the game where he was saying it was 100% his fault. He wasn't pleased with his performance, even though pretty much everything he did after Mainz's goal was was good, positive, making the right passes. Obviously, a very technical, clinical, uh, amazing volley finish for Byron's first goal, who obviously was uh, assisted by Ivan Paris with that kind of lofted cross, which is one of the reasons why I wrote New Boys. I love to see two of the new guys linking up. And then he obviously returned the favor for Perisic's goal in the 54th minute, which I absolutely love to see. Uh, If you watch the video too, there's hardly any reaction from Pavard um, when he gets that assist, just a little bang of the fist. And to me, that's just someone who he knows when he's made a mistake. Um, He knows um, how much potential he has and he knows he's playing for the best club in Germany. Um, And I just love to see that even though he reacted well, really got uh, his his game right after, you know, making that slight mistake for the first goal that he pushed on and is still recognizing the fact, no, 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 no you know, I, this was not my best game. I did not play my best, you know, against a better team. An error like that could be very, uh, very costly. Um, and I need to just take this and learn from it and move on. And then, as you said, you know, after after Alaboom's, you know, free kick just on the stroke of halftime, it was one-way traffic. I think when we came out in the second half with the verve, the attacking verve, and the uh, the utter domination, and possession, and shots we had, you were always going to uh, see like a six-one or a five-one on the scoreline, and it was just great to see Lewandowski get his six and three matches, have Coleman on the score sheet, and then absolutely we all loved seeing uh, Davies get on the score sheet. Um, and just to kind of round it out, I think this was the statement win uh, that we needed. You know, uh, Dortmund had already had a big win week one, a uh, big win over Cologne uh, as well. Uh, 3-0, I think the scoreline against Schalke maybe flattered us a little bit. I think this was really the big statement win that we needed to kind of solidify ourselves. Hey, you know, we're buying, We're going to be um, trying to reclaim the Bundesliga title. You know, this is the, uh, the performance that you should look at because uh, we're coming for everyone else, and obviously Leipzig right now are the team to beat.
0: Going to go ahead and take a quick look at the table. Uh, Leipzig are, of course, on top with three wins and nine points, and... There's basically a three-way points tie behind that between us, Wolfsburg, and Neverkusen. So Leipzig, of course, has seemed like the dominant team with the partnership between Emil Forsberg, Timo Werner, and... Yusuf Poulsen seeming more dominant than ever do you think that there's gonna be the potential for them in their next couple of games to slip up or do you think that they will be able to uh, continue this run of form
1: guess who Leipzig play when the international break is over oh it's uh, Bayern Munich so I'm gonna have to go ahead and say yes Jake they are going to hit a wall and that wall is going to be named Bayern Munich And we are going to beat them and play them out of their own park. And I can see us walking out of there with a 2-1 or a 3-1 win. And I really hope that happens because we need to get back on the top of the table and get Leipzig off of this little high horse that they're on under Julian Nagelsmann. It should be a good one to watch. So after we go ahead and take
0: a short break, we will come back and talk about the European qualifiers Germany played over the past couple of days. Welcome back. So with no Bayern Munich game this last week, we've decided that we were going to go ahead and cover the international break games this episode. Germany had European qualifiers to deal with this time around, and it was two interesting fixtures against the Dutch and Northern Ireland. Very interestingly enough, neither Germany nor Holland had much experience in European qualifying and Ireland was able to go ahead and jump to the lead at the beginning of all of this so I just thought that was kind of funky and weird but We will get to that Germany-Northern Ireland game later. First, we need to talk about the absolute disaster that happened against the Dutch. So, to start this game off, Serge Gnabry had a wonderful goal in the ninth minute off of a deflection from Sillison that somehow wasn't able to get parried further away. Uh, Then the Dutch scored off of this really weird Frankie de Jong goal that just looked like everybody was uncoordinated. The next Dutch goal was a corner kick that ended up going off of the foot of Jonathan Tah. A Tony Kroos penalty in the 73rd minute helped even it up, but then the Dutch put two past Neuer uh, from Danielle Malin in the 79th and then Jeannie Wijnaldum in the 91st to make the final score 4-2. to two. So, Tom, what are your thoughts on all of this?
1: This one I kind of broke down into a few facets, you know, analyzing this match. First off, you know, one of the things I like to think about, um, you know, as, as you mentioned, Northern Ireland had already played uh, more qualifiers than both the Netherlands and Germany because of Germany uh, and the Netherlands' involvement in the UEFA Nations League. So, really, the onus, too, was on uh, the Netherlands. I believe they had only played two or three matches heading into this one. You know, so had they not got a result against Germany, they really would have been in a very, very difficult spot uh, with two must-wins against um, Northern Ireland coming up. They got the job done against Estonia. But, you know, case in point, they would have really, really had a... um, been in a really crunch time situation had they not got the result here. And as much as it, I'm always an advocate of playing attacking football and entertaining the fans and giving them what they paid to see, you know, uh, qualifying for the Euros and qualifying for the World Cup is a long process. And it obviously seems very stretched out because of how how much space there is sometimes between the international breaks, especially in the late winter and the spring. Looking at the lineup, you know, I just was not a fan of the 3-4-2-1 that Yogi Love decided to deploy to me it it just seemed far too pragmatic um and compact in in a sense trying to thwart um the uh, the dutch attack and the amount of attacking players they had on knowing that they were the ones who needed absolutely needed a result in this game, because a lot of times I was just left very frustrated. Obviously, you have Matthias Ginter, Niklas Sula, uh, Jonathan Tah as the back three. And then in front of them, Kimmich and Cruz as the holding midfielders, so to speak, as the six and the eight. And um, then Klosterman and uh, Schultz as the um, the wingbacks. And then um, in front of them, Timo Werner, Royce, and then Gnabry as the, the number nine, I guess, if you will I just saw a lot of, you know, the just disjointedness, as I just mentioned, people not knowing exactly what their role is. You know, oftentimes with such a compact midfield, I, I found that Kloster, it was either Klosterman or Schultz, you know, uh, being the player in a wide area, advance up the pitch, you know, trying to make that uh, final decision and find that final product. Um, and those just probably aren't the guys you want in those positions. I think in, in essence what I'm trying to say here is maybe maybe perhaps too many defenders on the field um, and not enough of an attacking prowess. I think we saw in the second game, which we'll get into, playing Werner as the uh, the striker. You know, worked a lot better in playing with a uh, traditional back four. Because uh, I just think too much of it was, you know, the, the Dutch just had to keep a compact midfield, and you know that that's all they had to do really to contain, you know, Klosterman, Kimmich, Cruz, Nico Schulz across the middle. And I just I just think that uh, it was just the wrong. The wrong lineup right from the get-go, it played into the Dutch's hands. And then additionally, you know, pretty much all of the Dutch goals were avoidable. They all kind of came off of either errors or half errors or just some, you know, slightly poor decisions uh, from Germany. You know, the first one, De Jong, you have a poor tackle attempt from Kimmich. The Jonathan Ta own goal, I mean, as everyone knows, I am also a Liverpool fan, so... Not going to discredit the the German players for losing out on a header on a corner kick to Virgil van Dijk. But what I noticed about that goal, that you have four or five defenders right around van Dijk. Um, And then after he wins the header, Manuel Neuer makes the save. Everyone's very, very slow to react. Kind of caught in no man's land. I think it was um, either Depay or Wijnaldum flicks the ball back in. And originally we thought it was a Babel goal, but obviously we know that Jonathan Tah tipped it in. The third goal, Malin. The play again it started from a poor pass out of the back from Lucas Klosterman. The Dutch win it high up. Two passes later, it's in the back of the net. Um, and then again, the uh, the fourth goal from the Dutch. The Germans were um, pressing forward, you know, searching for uh, an equalizer at 3-2 down. Kimick, uh made a poor pass to Sula, who for whatever reason was in an advanced area of the pitch. Sula had someone right on him, lost the ball. Bang! counterattack from uh, Memphis Depay. He finds uh, Genie Vinaldum with a nice ball and. That's it. Game over, for 2 Yes, Nauber hit the, the uh, crossbar right at the end, but it really would have only been a consolation. So for me, it's just the lineup, you know, uh, too pragmatic, uh, too conservative. I think Yogi Love probably would have been happy with a point going into this one, looking at the lineup that he put out there. You know, as I said, qualifying for the Euros in the World Cup is a process, so sometimes a point is very valuable. Uh, but as we saw... Uh, Traditional back four in the second game against Northern Ireland. We get the three points.
0: So after that absolutely humiliating defeat, Germany tried to go ahead and set everything right. And they looked to do that against Northern Ireland in Belfast. And that's exactly what they were able to do. Though Northern Ireland did not make it easy on them. They had a couple of very good chances just right before the end of the half with a ball that was just inches away from the goal line, but Manuel Neuer was there doing exactly what he does. In the 48th minute, Marcel Halstenberg hits this absolutely beautiful scorcher of an left-footed volley into the right side, netting across his body, across the goaltender to make it 1-0. And then just in the middle of garbage time, Kai Havertz pass was sent to Serge Gnabry, who sent it underneath the keeper and just across the line to make it 2-0. Germany wins this game, and with that, takes a lead on the group table with a plus 11 goal difference on 12 points to Northern Ireland's plus three goal difference on 12 points. It's important to note the only team that has not played five games is the Netherlands. They have a plus nine goal difference on nine points. So Tom, just a couple quick notes on this uh, Northern Ireland game. What are your thoughts on this?
1: Yeah, absolutely. As you had said, especially the second half from Germany, a significantly better performance than uh, the 90 minutes they put forth against the Netherlands. Um, and as I said, with the, uh, the formation decision, I do like um, the traditional back four a bit more. Obviously, you mentioned Haustenberg got the wonder goal. Nicolas Sula, Matthias Ginter, Lucas Klosterman, rounded out the back four with uh, Kruis and Kimmich just ahead of them. And then Julian Brandt got a start, which I like to see. But yeah, and then Brandt, Mike, Marco Roy, Serge Gnabry in his natural right winger position instead of playing as the main striker, and Timo Werner as the main striker. This, for me, was a more uh, you know holistic, you know, well-rounded lineup. Um and I think you kind of hit the nail on the head too, you know, Manuel Neuer, uh, I think he had, you know, a really really great game, another per- vintage Manuel Neuer performance from him. Uh I think Germany definitely got lucky that Connor Washington didn't take the most of his chances early on. Um and I also noticed that uh, Dallas had the beating of Halstenberg and Krust on that left side. Quite often in the first half, you know, Windsor Park, they've had some very historic results there. The home crowd were obviously very, very into it, which is always good to see. But uh, I think that Germany did a good job of weathering the uh, the early storm um, and then taking those chances. And in the second half, obviously, as you mentioned, glorious, glorious wonder strike from um, Marcel Halstenberg. I was listening to the BBC Five Lives uh, podcast earlier today, and they were saying that he must have been watching clips of Benjamin Pavard from the... Uh, 2018 world cup in russia which i love to uh, to hear um and then also nabry just rounding out the scoring in extra time perfectly perfectly timed run uh so that he wasn't offside and then scored from an almost impossible angle um that put the uh, the final nail in the coffin for northern ireland and a, and a well-deserved three points um after a very very strong second half uh from diman
0: It's very true. If you haven't seen the goal, it does look very Benjamin Pavard-esque. Not only is it shooting from opposite of one side of the field to the other side of the net, it also had that weird kind of counter spin on top of it to make it all beautiful and curl right in so as I previously mentioned Germany are currently on top of the table on goal difference Uh, they have a couple more games to go in this so Tom how do you think they're going to be able to manage the rest of their qualifications
1: well I think right now that the the Germans are in a very very good position we would have liked to have gotten at least uh, four um, or six points out of those two qualifiers Uh, but as I said now uh, Northern Ireland I believe they still have a home and an away match against the Netherlands. So obviously you're going to fancy the Netherlands and those two. Um, and I think they also still have to uh, come and play us uh, in Germany. So I think three points, while we should have gotten at least four, I think we're in a good position. It's just a matter of, you know, we're going to be duking it out with the Dutch since they have that game in hand on us for the, um, the number one spot, obviously that automatic qualification spot, because any team, especially a team like Germany, you know, we don't want to... Face the prospect of having to go into the uh, the playoff legs, but I would say um, one of the advantages too is that uh, the goal difference. You know, uh, the Netherlands have plus nine, we have plus eleven. You know, no other team even comes close to that. Northern Ireland, I think, is something like three, uh, and obviously Belarus and Estonia are down uh, in the negative. So um, I think as long as Germany take care of business, you know, when uh, Northern Ireland come and visit us and our remaining matches against Belarus and Estonia, then. Um, there's no reason why we shouldn't get that first spot and avoid having to go to the uh, the playoff rounds.
0: Absolutely. Hopefully that will work out very well for Germany. And of course, they have a couple more games, but we get to now focus on soccer coming back to the Bundesliga. And we, of course, will be bringing you our preview episode for Leipzig this weekend coming up on friday but for now we're going to go ahead and transition into ask bpw which we will get to right after a couple of quick messages we will return to the podcast right after this message welcome back and now we return to our fan favorite segment ask bpw where we answer your questions from the internet and you can always send us your questions using the hashtag ask and tom and i will be able to see them so tom being our twitter meister i'm gonna go ahead and have you read these off
1: our first question for ask bavarian podcast works comes from at Kfarzanian, and he asks is there any backup plan for Nico kobach Subsequently, is Mourinho an option, or also perhaps even Arsene Wenger?
0: You all know my thoughts on Niko Kovac. As of right now, I don't see any reason why Niko Kovac should even be considered to be sacked, right? When we were all considering sacking him earlier, there was a collapse occurring, right? And three games into the season... There's no collapse. I don't think that the board has lost any faith in Kovac so far, and I think that that would be the only reason why anybody would ever need to have a backup plan. Uh, If you're asking for my personal pick, it would be neither of the two options that you mentioned. Uh, I don't want an absolute locker room cancer in Jose Mourinho coming in, and I don't need an old man who is so incredibly restrictive of his players and so demanding at the same time in Arsene Wenger coming in. In my opinion, I don't know if there's anyone out there that really screams Bayern Munich at this point, right? Like, I don't know, maybe Michael Ballack? Like, I don't understand... Uh, who could possibly take over at this point, right? Like Leipzig just signed Engelsman; he's not coming. Uh, we're not gonna go and try to get Thomas Tuchel. At least I hope not. Uh, Jurgen Klopp is pretty content at Liverpool, uh, so I don't know if thinking, if trying to think up of a backup plan would necessarily be a good idea. Nor right now do I think we need one. And if we needed a backup plan, uh, the person on the market is. Just or there's nobody on the market that could currently replace him. By the end of the season, if we needed to, maybe that would change. Maybe some sackings would be in the uh, in the cards. But as of right now, I wouldn't go with anybody.
1: For me, right now, for what it's worth, I think that at Bayern Munich, Nico Kovac is the right man for the job. I know we can kind of maybe go back and argue um, at the time in the summer that he was hired, was there potentially someone better um, but as far as Jose Mourinho, I think he's actually just recently accepted a uh, punditry contract. I believe it was either with Sky Sports or BT Sport. Um, so I know his time is going to be well spent doing that. You know, I think that role suits him well. Um, commenting on uh, European football and, um, you know, having that experience as one of the, uh, the most decorated managers in European football itself, being able to kind of... Uh, switch the scopes, so to speak, and uh, become a pundit. Subsequently, Wenger, I think that um, right now he's enjoying retirement. I don't think personally he plans on returning to um, anything in a managerial capacity anytime soon. I also don't really think he would necessarily be the right fit for Bayern. I mean, yes, Bayern has a large French contingent on the squad, so that would be something that would be kind of romantic, I guess, in a sense, if... um, you know that rare opportunity were to present itself, but for this question, really, I would just kind of like to backtrack and see, you know, potentially the one guy that could have come to Bayern is current PSG manager uh, Thomas Tuchel. You know, I really want to, would love to be curious to see the exact details behind the curtains that we wouldn't necessarily know about um, as to why that kind of fell through. Next to Niko Kovac, um, Tuchel was definitely one of the guys that was on the top of Bayern's radar. Um, they he fit the building perfectly. They wanted a German speaker, a guy with um, experience in the Champions League, a guy with um, obviously a pedigree in the Bundesliga that Tuchel had. Um, so I'm really curious to see, you know, in the future if, if if things really do go south with Kovac, you know, would Tuchel potentially be entertained by an offer from Honis and Karlheinz Rummenigge, um to come back to the Bundesliga and coach Bayern? You know, I'm sure he's not exactly enthralled just collecting. Um, easy league on trophies and uh, trophy de champions, Coupe de la Ligue, Coupe de France, um, and not going very far in the Champions League with PSG. So um, I would say that Tuchel would be one guy in the future. You know, after Kovac, if something goes south. The next question in the segment comes from at Azan22, and he asks, Do you guys at Bavarian Podcast Works think that Bayern will sign Philippe Coutinho permanently next? Or will they perhaps make a move for Bayer Leverkusen's Kai Havertz?
0: So looking at this one, obviously it all depends on how Philippe Coutinho ends up doing. But to give a bit of a short answer, I think Bayern Munich has the budget for both. We thought that there was going to be a massive uh, transfer endeavor from the club this summer, and it didn't really pan out at all we didn't sign the big transfer that we wanted in Leroy Sané now that Sané is injured there's a potential for us to go ahead to Manchester City and sign him for a lot less that and the club just announced that they had a 55 million euro profit so after looking at this right I think it's very reasonable that we could go after both right if you think about it if we sign um If we sign Sané for a range between uh, 50 and 60 million euros, call it 60 if we want, uh, sign Coutinho for 80, and then sign Kai Havertz for 60, that's about the 200 million euro mark that we said we were going to spend this summer that we didn't. So I think it's highly possible that potentially we could get all three if you're asking me who I would prefer obviously I would prefer Kai Havertz but then again we don't know how Phil's going to do this season
1: and essentially Jake I think you hit the nail on the head there with um what you had said you know in in a realistic and ideal world I would hope that both of these players would be available for Bayern but for me obviously a lot of it has to do with what inevitably winds up happening with Bayern and uh, Leroy Sané When we come back to the negotiating table for him, um, either in the winter or potentially if that's next summer, given his ACL injury and the fact that he's not going to be playing any football until reportedly as his recovery is going February, um, we can obviously get that um, price wriggled down from what we would have paid in the summer if he didn't get that ACL injury in the community shield. Um, So, a lot of that is going, a lot of, excuse me, Coutinho is going to depend entirely upon A, are we definitely going back in for Sané in the winter? You know, when are we going to get him? How much are we going to pay? Because I believe right now, um, the option to buy at the end of the one-year loan is somewhere around 120 million euro, if I recall correctly. Um, And then Kai Havertz would probably cost around close to 90 or 100 million euro to leave Bayer Leverkusen. Um, So, again, with Coutinho, you know, I think a lot of that has to do as well with, you know, are Barcelona going to continue their pursuit of Neymar uh, from PSG uh, to make a return? You know, are Barcelona going to focus their efforts in the winter on trying to bring him back to uh, the Catalans? Are they going to wait till next summer? How much are they going to pay for him? Because Neymar right now is still evaluated for whatever reason over 200 million euro, obviously, PSG paid 222 million euro um, to trigger his release clause from Barcelona to bring him to Paris, but um, you know we'll have to see what happens with that because Barcelona might not have the funds um, to, you know, pay Coutinho's wages if he were to go back to Barcelona if uh, Bayern Munich don't buy him at the end of the loan. So maybe maybe Bayern can use that. Uh, at the negotiating table if all those events transpire um, to perhaps wriggle that price down from 120 million euro. But yeah, as Jake had said, realistically, I would hope that um, Bayern could find a way to get, whether it's between the winter and the summer transfer windows, Sane, Coutinho, and Havertz, because that would just be a dream come true now, wouldn't it? The last question that we selected to look at um, from Ask Bavarian Podcast Works, came from the N at excuse me, at the NN Herder, and he asked, when will Bayern's domestic dominance finally be taken down, and who will do it? Borussia Dortmund, RB Leipzig, or perhaps even someone else?
0: So I thought about this one for a while uh, when I read this at first. I think that if there's any year that Bayern Munich could potentially lose their title it would be this year and as far as a team goes I'm honestly not sure like it would be it would be very interesting to see if either of Dortmund or Leipzig are able to do it currently uh, three games into the season my money would be on Leipzig of course but uh, I think for the people that like the Bundesliga and want to see a different team win. I think this is basically going to be your year and it's going to be this year and probably nothing else. Because if you consider next season, uh, there are a lot of names at Leipzig that will not be at Leipzig next year. Timo Werner will probably not be at Leipzig next year, even though he did just re-sign with the club. I don't see him really staying there. Uh, you look at Umpa Macano as another example. He's been considered uh, all over the place. Uh, maybe even Peter Galashi going to a mid-table Premier League side is possibly in the cards, right? And then considering otherwise, Yusuf Olson gets another year older Emil Forsberg gets another year older. So at that point, you really start to ask whether or not Leipzig could be able to do it next year if Bayern wins this year. The only other team that's on the table for this would be Dortmund. Personally, I think that Dortmund could do it next year, but I think that this is really their year to be able to do it. And some point next season, Marco Reus turns 32, and that's not exactly what they... Uh, want or need at that point I believe Paco Alcacerra will also be on the wrong side of 30 as will uh, a couple of other players on their team I think Roman Berkey might even be there at that point but you you begin to notice that a lot of the contenders begin to break down so if there's any year that it's going to happen I would bet my money on this year that being said, I could see Dortmund doing it next year, but I think it's more unlikely. So if it's got to be any year, like this has got to be it. This has got to be the year for all of the uh, all all hands on deck to uh, remove Bayern from atop the Bundesliga.
1: The one thing I would say um, is that right now this season, I don't think either of those teams are quite ready uh, to do that. What I will say is Honestly, in my opinion, I think that Borussia Dortmund would be the front runners to potentially uh, topple Bayern perhaps next season or the season after. With RB Leipzig, I think it's they're notorious for having uh, a young squad, and you also have to remember they have a new manager uh, this season, first-time manager in Julian Nagelsmann from Hoffenheim. Yes, they've gotten off to a fantastic start uh, in the Bundesliga as well as the DFB Pokal, but I think um, they will with such a young squad, especially if they experience some injuries, um, they will experience some difficulties fighting across three fronts, you know. Uh, in Group G in the Champions League, they've been drawn to a relatively decent group for what it's worth. Uh, you know, their opponents are Benfica from Portugal, Olympique Lyon from Ligon, obviously Leipzig, and then Zenit St. Petersburg from Russia, you know. So there's very good chance that they could finish in either the first or second position in that group in advance, Which just means more football and more midweek fixtures for them to have to deal with. And I just think with such a young squad, that's going to be something that really proves to take its toll uh, on their Bundesliga form, which unfortunately for them, while the experience in Europe is good, you know, that might um, really affect their Bundesliga form. You know, how long can they keep this hot streak going, really? So that's what I would say about Leipzig. While I do think they're on the right track and they have a very uh, phenomenal system, a very phenomenal roster, and a very phenomenal coaching staff in place. I think that Borussia Dortmund are more of the team that poses more of a threat as far as toppling Bayern's uh, domestic dominance. One of the things I, I would I would look at is you know how well Dortmund have done in the transfer window in the summer. Uh, we actually recently wrote about it about the fact that uh, in the German camp right now for Die Mannschaft, ahead of their qualifiers, uh, Marco Royce, Julian Brandt. Uh, Nico Schultz are trying to convince Kai Havertz to consider joining Borussia Dortmund uh, instead of Bayern Munich next summer leaving Bayer Leverkusen. So what I think you have there is a, a lot of guys that are buying into the fact that, you know, if they don't get the offer from Bayern, they want to go to Dortmund. You know, the one team that's in the Bundesliga that really has the, uh, the credible chance to, you know, topple Bayern, so to speak. And I think that Lucien Favre, has gotten his players to buy into that system, and I think that's the most attractive offer elsewhere in the Bundesliga uh, for the top targets that are looking for a Bundesliga title and potentially to uh, topple Bayern. So, with that said, I think that realistically, I would if someone told me I had to put my money down on it, I would say Borussia Dortmund, perhaps in the 2020-2021 uh, season, could um, you know take it down to the wire and see it over the line and uh, topple Bayern once and for all. Since uh, you know it's been a while since Jurgen Klopp um, helping them triumph in 2012. So that will
0: end our segment, Ask BPW. We will probably be running this segment again next week. So be sure to send us your comments and your questions using the hashtag #AskBPW on Twitter. Uh, and with that, we're going to take another break and we'll be right back. Welcome back. And now we return to the newsroom where we are going to analyze two interesting teams that have recently been picked. Uh, one would be the Bayern Champions League squad and the other would be the FIFA Pro World 11 First, we're going to start with the Bayern squad. Uh, it's a very interesting group of players highlighted by some young names that might be able to get their chance at cracking the first team and making a big impression in Europe's top competition. Looking at goalkeepers, we have Manuel Neuer, Sven Ulreich, as well as Christian Fruchtel and Ron torben Uh Defenders, we have the typical back five of Sula Pavard, Boateng, Hernandez, and Alaba, as well as Lars-Lucas Mai. Uh, in the midfield, in addition to Thiago and Javi Martinez, Goretzka, Kimmich, Deliso, uh we also have Mike, Mikael Cuisance, uh, Sarpit Singh, Oliver Bastia Meyer, Daniel Zostunas, and Joshua Xerxy, And then forwards, we have all of the usual suspects, as well as the two new loanees and Jan Fita Arp. So, Tom, uh, looking at this list, what is your first impression?
1: As far as Bayern's Champions League roster goes, I think Jake kind of hit the nail on the head as far as, you know, some of the youth players that did make the squad. But for me personally, I'm all about pragmatism, especially in Europe's most elite competition. You know, I would even have no problem if there was no Lars Lukas Mai, uh, Daniels Antunzias, Joshua Zertsky uh, Oliver Batista Meyer in the squad. Um, obviously, you need uh, guys like Freud Dill and Ron Torbenhoffman in the squad in case something happens to both Neuer and Ulrich. But uh, back to my point, you know, I have no problem if there's not even any youth players in the squad. You know, I, I, I like either other Bayern fans, you know, I want to see this team go far and do well in Europe, which is something that is always an expectation at a club like Bayern. And uh, for me, w- when the roster comes out for the Champions League, I just expect to see the usual suspects, and I'm absolutely okay with that. Robert Lewandowski's, Kingsley Coman, Serge Gnabry's, Neuer's, Nicolas Sula, Boateng, Hernandez, David Alaba, Benjamin Pavard. You know, I just, I want to see Bayern go the distance once and for all, instead of getting out in the round of 16 to the semifinals, as we did uh, under Jep Heinkes against Real Madrid in 2017-2018. So really for me, uh, no surprises here. While it is nice to see some of the younger guys, as I mentioned, like Myers, Zerski, uh, Antunjas, uh, Sarpit Singh, um, like those guys in the squad. It would be nice, you know, if the opportunities are right, perhaps against uh, Red Star or Olympiakos, if we're already leading, or if, you know, by the time we play them the second time, our fate is already sealed as far as progressing to the knockout stages. Maybe it would be nice to see them uh, get some chances and, you know, do some positive things on Europe's biggest stage, but Nonetheless, um, pretty much everything I expected from the Champions League squad, and uh, I hope we can better our fortunes compared to last year being knocked out by Liverpool in the round of 16.
0: Moving on to the FIFA Pro World 11. the reason why I decided to highlight this list was because this is a list picked by the players, and... There are some really, really questionable names on this list. Uh, For those that haven't seen the list, there are only two names from Bayern Munich on this list. And the two names on this list are Joshua Kimmich and Robert Lewandowski. Meanwhile, there are some very questionable decisions which have left out some important Bayern Munich players, such as David Alaba, Thomas Müller, and... Uh, Tiago Alcantara, as well. There is nobody from Bayern Munich in the midfield. It's and there are some very question. They're just quite, here. Let me just go over the list. Uh, in goal, they have Alisson, David de Gea, Ederson, Jan Oblak, and Marc Andre Ter Stegen. So I don't know necessarily why David de Gea is in there. He's the third best goalkeeper in the Premier League. I think that it's kind of interesting that they considered only them. I'm not necessarily saying that Manuel Neuer should be in there because he had a a bit of a lackluster season, but when you consider the fact that people like Donnarama also had a phenomenal season last year, I don't know why you include three Premier League goalkeepers and two La Liga goalkeepers. To defense, uh, there are some people that definitely... Excuse me, deserve to be on this list. Uh, I would say Trent Alexander Arnold, Matthias Delight. Maybe you could argue Giorgio Chiellini, uh, Koulibaly, Laporta, PK, and Virgil Van Dyke. But then you go ahead and you look at the rest of the list Uh, Jordi Alba, Danny Alves, Joao Cancelo, Danny Carvajal, Diego Godin, uh, Marcelo. Uh, I mentioned Gerard PK but Sergio Ramos, Andru- Andrew Robertson, Alexandro, Thiago Silva, Rafael Varane, and Kyle Walker. I don't know if I would pick Joao Cancelo over David Alaba. I don't know if I would pick Danny Carvajal over David Alaba. I don't know if I would pick... Tiago Silva over David Alaba in terms of his age. I don't know if I would pick Kyle Walker over David Alaba. I don't know why the players decided to pick four Real Madrid defenders when Real Madrid did not even make it beyond the quarterfinals of the Champions League. I find it a little bit ridiculous that they have a player like Ramos in there and a player like Varane in there. Actually, I take that back. Varane is actually pretty good. The one that I'm really stubbed on is Carvajal. I don't know how you pick Danny Carvajal over... I, I I would even argue that there are even better players in La Liga that you can pick over Danny Carvajal. Moving on to the midfield, again, there are just a couple of head-scratchers here. Uh, Paul Pogba makes sense to me, as does Luka Modric and Ivan Rakitic. Tony Kroos and N'Golo Kante, Hazard, Christian Eriksson, Kevin De Bruyne, Casamiro, and Frankie De Jong. They all make sense to me. The, the few that don't are Sergio Busquets, Arthur Mello from Barcelona... Artur, I am not exactly sure. Uh, Bernardo Silva, Dusan Tadic, and Arturo Vidal. Now, I love Arturo Vidal, but you did not get much playing time last season. Dusan Tadic is a retread from Southampton that I don't know why he got picked here. And if we're looking at this list, uh, there are some notable admissions. Thomas Muller, I would probably slot more into a midfield role and just... Having Tiago Alcantara not on this list over uh, Dusan Tadic is a little bit surprising to me. I don't know exactly how these lists were compiled, and I'm kind of disappointed in that. And then moving on finally to the forwards, your usual suspects of... Uh, Lionel Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, Antoine Griezmann, Harry Kane, Lewandowski, they're all in there. Uh, And this one I don't necessarily have a point of contention with, at least from a Bayern Munich standpoint, but if you have Karim Benzema on this list, then I don't know how quality your list can really be. Granted, most of the players that I see on here are people that I would put on this list, but I don't know if you can logically say that Karim Benzema is one of the 15 best strikers in the world at this point if this was four or five years ago then maybe but as of right now I'm kind of baffled as to why Karim Benzema was included in here over Mauro Icardi or Romelu Lukaku or Paulo Dybala so that's just this list so far uh and those are my thoughts on it Tom uh who do you like and dislike on this
1: one for me, looking at the uh, the FIFA Pro World Eleven, I am obviously just like really curious as to, you know, the individual thought processes uh, when players are actually voting for this. For example, like how much of it comes down to silverware versus how much of it comes down to, you know, what players actually watch other players and how much they actually contribute uh, to their respective club and countries um, each calendar year. Because I do see a lot of votes that I think just go to players that are, um, consistently winning silverware, which doesn't necessarily do that specific player any justice because it doesn't necessarily mean that they're someone who's contributing as much as maybe someone else in the squad. Like, you know, Jake had mentioned, uh, Cancelo from Portugal, Juventus, Manchester city. Was he really a standout player, uh, for Juventus? You know, has he even made any appearances thus far for, uh, Manchester City, should a guy like Daniel Carvajal be in there over someone like uh, David Alaba or perhaps even uh, Nikola Sula who had such a significant season for Bayern uh, as well as Germany, you know, looking at all the defenders and the fact that Kimmich, by the way, is the only defender from Bayern and from Germany to, you know, make the, uh, the FIFA Pro nominees for uh, defenders is a little telling. As far as, you know, how all the other players in Europe view the Bundesliga, I think they need to take a better look at how much talent uh, actually exists in the league uh, for what it's worth. And, you know, moving to the midfield, there's again, like, how you leave out a guy like Thiago Encantrala, who is literally our midfield metronome, you know, while he does have his poor performances, he's the one guy who's kind of the glue, uh, so to speak, of our roster, especially linking defense to attack. You know, he's always that one guy who can find that creative pass. Um, you know unlock a, um, a good sequence going forward when you know especially some of the teams against us are really um, tight defensively you know bunkering down I think he's that type of player that deserves a lot more recognition than he than he gets especially on something like this with it with the uh, the FIFA pro uh, World 11 you know why guys like um you know eh, well I guess I can see why N'Golo Kante Conte or Eden Hazard Tony Cruz um, are getting in there, but someone like Arthur from Barcelona, I would say that Tiago, arguably has a, or especially Arturo Vidal, like from what I understand, he's more of a squad player with Barcelona. You know why he'd be getting in the squad over Tiago is is beyond me. But you know, again, that just goes back to uh, the idea of you know what it is that players actually look for. Um, I, I think perhaps that some of these players are giving you know their counterparts maybe a little bit too much respect in the sense that they want to see the guys that are on the, on the biggest stage, you know, winning the trophies, winning the winners medals, even, you know, you know, how many, how many of them are watching a lot of the league games where they maybe don't play as well, but they maybe score, you know, should that be valued over a player who hustles and bustles and puts in a solid shift, does what the manager needs, helps the team and, you know, doesn't necessarily cover himself in glory as far as goals and assists, you know, um, so, I mean, with that, again, it's it's something that's kind of arbitrary. You know, I, I don't want to read too much into this, um, but I would say my main takeaway from this with only guys like Lewandowski, Kimmich being um, selected on there, you know, I, I, I think this is a more telling, you know, I guess, statistic of, you know, how the rest of the, uh, the footballers in Europe view the Bundesliga and you know how little they rate it compared to La Liga or the Premier League or even Serie A which i think you know you, you, you couldn't pay me enough to watch a Serie A match compared to a Bundesliga match it's just bar none you know the support um, the way that teams are set up crunching into tackles not diving as much you just it's just a whole different you know a whole different setup and there's for me it's just I'm almost sad to a point. Like I, I, The Bundesliga, for me, needs to get more respect and the respect that it deserves. And for that reason, I do hope that German teams start doing well uh, in Europe. I know we saw Frankfurt go really far in the, um, the Europa League last year. I really hope that uh, Leipzig, Dortmund... I know Dortmund have a very difficult group, but Bayern, Dortmund, Leipzig... I hope they all progress very far. Um, in the Champions League, Champions League this year, and I hope we put German football... You know, back where it belongs to be on the top of the pedestal, so that maybe the next time the uh, the fifth Pro World Eleven comes out for 2020, it'll be littered with both Bayern and uh, Bundesliga and Germany players.
0: And as we mentioned, these are only the nominees so far. The list for the full World Eleven will come out later this year. And, uh, it'll be very interesting to see if either Kimmich or Robert Lewandowski are able to make it. I would be livid. <laughs> I would be absolutely livid if Joshua Kimmich did not make the list. If Trent Alexander-Arnold gets on there, I kind of understand that. But if somebody like, as we mentioned, Kyle Walker, or Joao Cancelo, or, uh, or, Donny Alves, of all people, get put on that list over him, then I'd be really confused. He's probably one of like the top three, if not the number one, best right-backs in the world in the mold of Philip Lom, so it'd be shocking to me. But as I mentioned, it will have to be a while for that list to come out, and hopefully we won't have to do an absolute rant like we did this time. But... Until then, and until the next podcast we put out, that will wrap this one up. This will uh, this has been another great episode of uh, Bavarian Podcast Works. Uh, you can uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bavarian FB Works. You can follow me on Twitter at Jefferson Fenner Tom. Where can they find you?
1: As always, they can find me at at Bavarian Works. I'm usually always the guy. Uh, behind the Bavarian Football Works tweets. Uh, also, I recently did check into to at Tommy Adams 71 just to prove to people that that account does exist. I don't know how many of you saw it, but it does exist. So I promise I will check in there more often as well, uh, just for some random stuff, maybe Bavarian Football Works shoutouts, uh, stuff like that. Great to hear, Tom. And for all
0: of your latest and greatest German and Bayern Munich soccer content, be sure to to always read us at the blog, BavarianFootballWorks.com. So from all of us at the podcast division, thank you very much for listening. Please be sure to like us, rate us, subscribe to us, and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your quality audio content. And until this Friday when we preview the game against Leipzig, we will see you later. So until then, auf Wiedersehen.